You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Our church in Edinburgh called Chalmers Church, so it's uh, great to be back here with you guys this morning. And um, if you've got a Bible, can you turn to 2 Peter? That is the letter that I, I want to look at. I want to look at the start of this letter um, this morning. Uh, I wonder how many of you know what 2 Peter is about. Um, to be honest, I didn't really know anything about this letter until I started studying it. It's kind of one of these letters that gets lost uh, in the back of the New Testament somewhere. But there's stuff in here that, oh my, if we were to get it, it would not only affect our lives as individuals, but it would affect our churches and what our churches look like and how our churches behave. So what is the letter of 2 Peter about? Well, let me try and sum it up uh, in one sentence. This is what I think the message of 2 Peter is. 2 Peter is about the importance of us growing in our knowledge of God. It's a letter about the importance of us growing in our knowledge of God. You see, Peter writes this letter to a church that uh, is undergoing uh, a real threat, a real danger from false teaching. From what we can read in the letter, these false teachers were, were going around the church. They were claiming to have uh, some sort of special authority. They were saying to the church that Jesus isn't going to come back. Uh, there's no such thing as a final judgment. Uh, and so therefore, you could just live life like the way you want. It's okay. And this was a threat that was real and prevalent from within the church. And Peter writes this letter to combat that threat. And he uses perhaps some of the strongest language that you will read of in the New Testament. It's actually quite shocking if you were to read through it. Uh, and I would encourage you, uh, after the service or at some point this week, to read the entire letter of 2 Peter. It would take about maybe 10 minutes. Just read through it and what Peter is trying to say. But his main way to combat the false teaching and to encourage the church is to tell them that they need to grow in what they already know about God. That's his main way of combating this. Grow in your knowledge of God Knowledge is the key word, I think, to, to unlocking what this letter is about. So just to uh, prove that to you, uh, look with me right at the start of the letter in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Um, just a, a helpful hint. If you want to understand a New Testament epistle, a New Testament letter, often the themes of these letters are contained right at the start and right at the very end. Uh, and it's a good way for unlocking what the purpose is. So 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 2, Peter writes, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And turn with me to the end of the letter, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 18. Peter writes this, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's growing in the knowledge of God. That is what will keep this church steady. That is what will keep this church strong and united. That is what will stop this church being taken captive by false teachings. This letter is so important because actually one of the, the main things that, that Peter's trying to combat is this idea of Christians who are slipping away from the gospel, 
Christians who are getting dangerously close to the edge and could very well fall away from Christ and his gospel altogether. And so it's a vital letter for us to know and it's a vital letter for us as a church to know. And let me just also add, I'm aware that there are probably people here today who wouldn't say that they were followers of Jesus. And what would be the benefit then of looking at a letter like to Peter for you? And I would just say that as we look at the start of this book, I want you guys to see what a Christian is, what being a Christian is all about. Because in most, most religions, their message is that you have to be a better person to be accepted by God. But the message of the gospel is that if you trust God, you will be accepted by him. Therefore, you should be a better person. And that's so radically different. And I hope as we look at this, you'll see that that Christianity is not about wearing some moral mask, but it's about knowing a God that is so real and so loving that the very knowledge of him will transform your character and your being. So let's begin by just reading what Peter has to say in his opening statement, and it's quite an opening statement. 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll read verses 1 to 11. Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us all his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me just pray before we look at this small passage together. Father, thank you that you're a God who speaks. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand your word, that we would hear your voice as the scripture is opened up. Father, may we be challenged by it if we are too comforted. Father, may we be comforted by it if we are feeling challenged. Lord, may this word change our hearts. May it sink deep into our lives and may it help us to increase in our knowledge and affection of the Lord Jesus Christ in his name. Amen. So I said that 2 Peter is about the importance of growing in our knowledge of God and that is really what we see straight from the onset in this opening statement. So I have three points that divide up this passage and show why the knowledge of God is so important to a follower of Jesus. Firstly, a knowledge of God brings abundant blessings. We see that in verse 1 to 2. Secondly, the knowledge of God produces godly lifestyle in verse 3 to 9. 
And thirdly, we'll see that knowledge of God has a glorious end goal in verse 10 to 11. So first of all, knowledge of God produces, or brings about, sorry, abundant blessings. We see that there in verse 1 to 2. Now verse 1 of 2 Peter is probably one of the most astonishing verses in the entire letter. And it's often one that's overlooked. Look at what Peter says about the Christians he is writing to. He says, you have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. A faith that is just as precious as ours. Now this is remarkable. Think about who is writing this letter here. Here is a man who spent three years of his life being taught by the Lord Jesus. God in the flesh, come down. Peter was with him for three years, being taught, being educated by him. Peter walked with him. Peter saw the incredible things that Jesus did. He was an eyewitness. Peter spoke to him personally. Peter was even given a unique authority by the Lord Jesus in which Jesus said to him, you are Peter, the rock upon which I will build my church. And so the apostle here, who is going to be the foundation of the church of Christ, says to the church that he is writing to that your faith in Jesus is just as valuable, just as real, and just as potent as mine. See, Peter is not special in the sense that he's kind of got this uh, advanced higher stage of Christianity because when it comes to the gospel, he's getting us to see we're all the same. And why is that? Well, look look at the verse there. This faith comes not by the righteousness of an individual, but but comes through the righteousness of Jesus, our God and our Savior. So all of us are equal before God because our faith, it comes from the same source. It's the righteousness of Christ. You and I are saved, not because we're special, not because we're worthy of salvation, It's not because we're righteous that we have been saved, but we have been saved because Jesus is righteous. And it's his righteousness that has saved us. That's why uh, the person with with a morally questionable lifestyle who comes to follow Jesus five minutes ago has a faith that is just as valuable as the apostle upon which the entire church was built. That's what Peter's saying here. Your faith is equal in God's eyes, because the thing that makes your faith precious is not the strength of it, but the object of it, and that's Jesus. And through Jesus, Peter's saying, comes this unfathomable depth of grace and of peace. And Peter wants his readers to understand that. So so how do they get to grips with, with this infinite resource of grace, of love, and of peace? Well, verse 2, May all those things be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So if you really, really want to grasp just how amazing it is that you've got faith in Christ, just how amazing it is that you've been saved by Christ, if you want to know the magnitude of what it means to be at peace with him and to plumb the depths of the grace that he has shown you, then you've simply just got to know him. You've got to know him. uh, There is no advanced higher stage of Christianity. As soon as you come to follow Jesus, 
You get Jesus. And you get all the blessings that come with following Jesus. You have everything. So growing as a Christian is not about advancing up the tiers of Christianity. It's simply about having a deeper knowledge of what you've already got. The simple fact that we are saved from all our sin, that we are saved from all our wrongdoing by doing nothing but trusting in Jesus and his finished and completed work on the cross, that simple fact is not something that, that you believe you become a Christian from and then you just move on from. That is something that you need to, to grow in and to know better and it will unleash a flood of understanding into the abundance of the grace and the peace that has been poured out upon you. And the more you get to know him, the more that you grasp who this God is that does this for undeserving sinners, the more that will radically, radically change your life. And that's what Peter goes on to say in verses 3 to 9. This knowledge doesn't only bring abundant blessings, but secondly, it produces a godly lifestyle. Produces a godly lifestyle. Look at how he starts in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge, again, of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you not only have a faith that that is as precious as anyone else and an abundance of blessings, but you have everything that you need for godliness. Absolutely everything. Why is that? Well, verse 4, he tells us, when you come to follow Jesus, you receive God's precious and great promises so that through them, you may become participants of the divine nature. So you have everything you need for godliness because you are now a partaker of the divine nature. Now, what on earth does that mean? Well, I think that Peter is saying that this, this divine power that he mentions in verse 3, it's now become a part of us. So when we come to follow Jesus, God becomes linked to us by his spirit. God becomes part of us by his spirit and works in our lives to change us. Think of it, it's kind of like DNA. Um, So how DNA works, there are many attributes of um, my dad that I will inherit because we share the same sort of genes, which uh, isn't the best news for me, because my old man doesn't have any hair, and he's slightly rotund. Um, I can say that because he's not here. But I have his genes inside of me, and so to a degree, that's going to shape me in terms of what I look like. Well, when you come to follow God, he takes up residence in your life. You, You become grafted into his nature, and aspects of his character will start to change yours. You've got the divine nature in you. You've got the DNA of God. It's an incredible statement. And when I first read uh, verses 3 and 4 and tried to get my head around what Peter was saying, I just thought it was amazing. And then when I actually started to think about the verses, I found it hugely, hugely disconcerting and it made me feel very uncomfortable. Why? Because if I look at my life, I know that there are many areas of it that do not exhibit godliness. And if what this passage is saying is true, then I am left with no excuse. Absolutely no excuse. The reason that we are not being godly 
or growing in godliness is not because we lack the resources. It's because we're not using the resources that God has given us. Now, don't get me wrong. No one will ever achieve perfect godliness. Never will that be possible. But Peter's really clear here. This should nevertheless be the tireless pursuit of someone who has been saved by Jesus. You see, we may indeed have God's spirit working in us to to change us. We've got the DNA of God as part of us. But that doesn't mean that we don't do anything. No way. We We have to work hard at being godly. Look, look at the language. Look at what Peter says uh, in verses uh, 5 to 9. Therefore, so, so because you have God's power, because you have everything in you, he says, verse 5, make every effort, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Now, notice something about that list that Peter writes there. Firstly, notice that they're very broad terms to do with the inner workings of a person, like John was telling us with the dog food illustration. It's what happens on the inside. So it's not stuff that's often easy to spot outwards. And notice also that it begins with faith and it ends in love. And I think that that's quite significant. The Bible teaches that that love really is the ultimate end goal of faith. And that's kind of the the ultimate evidence of godliness. Now, as we look at these attributes, look at that list there, we've got to ask ourselves, what effort, what is the effort that I am making to increase in these areas? What is our attitude to self-control, for example, when it comes to us facing temptations? Do we just easily cave in or or are we actively trying to fight and pursue self-control how is our brotherly affection or brotherly kindness that is how is our kindness and affection for those in the church of christ is it good or are we harboring resentment Are we persevering, as Paul says? Are we persevering in Bible reading, persevering uh, in spending time with God? Are we being good moral examples? Are we growing in goodness to those round about us? And if you're looking at this list here and trying to work out which one you're doing well in, and you think, well, yeah, I've got that one sorted, then I would have to say, no, you don't. Because Peter knows none of us will be perfect in these areas. And his concern is not whether or not we will master these attributes, but whether or not we are growing in these attributes. Are you making every effort to grow here? Please do not underestimate the seriousness of what he is writing. Because if there is no growth in your life as a Christian, it could be very dangerous. I was chatting to uh, one of my colleagues in Chalmers Church uh, who had a, he had a baby recently. Um, well, his wife had a baby. Um, and he was telling me what it's like having a, you know, a newborn child because I know absolutely nothing about looking after newborns, which is probably why he's not asked me to babysit. Um, but he was saying that one of the big concerns that him and his wife have for their wee girl is her weight. So she has to get weighed quite regularly to make sure that she is putting on weight. And if she isn't putting on weight as a newborn, 
then it could actually be very serious. It could be very dangerous. It could even mean that uh, the child is dying. And if we're not increasing in our godliness, it could be very serious. If we are stagnant as Christians, it could mean that we are dying. And so Peter is issuing a very real warning. I said at the start that the language in this letter is, is ferocious because he is worried that there are Christians who are right on the edge that could fall away from the gospel. And some of you here might be right on the edge and even unaware that you're in very real danger. Now we've got to be careful here though because spiritual growth, like normal growth, is not instantaneous. It takes time. It's often something we don't notice. Like I, I don't remember at one point in my life being three foot and then suddenly six foot one. But I know I've grown. I know I've grown because I can look back at photos of me when I was small. I can see how different I was. Uh, and I know I've grown because whenever I used to go and visit elderly relatives, they would always tell me, oh my, how you've grown. Well, spiritual growth is about a gradual change. And if you want to see if you're improving in these areas as a Christian, I think it's actually helpful to look back to when you were a younger Christian to see if you would have behaved differently in that area to how you do now. It's also helpful when other people point out how you've grown in your godliness, like my granny would have. It's helpful to do that. It's helpful to do this collectively as a church and for people to encourage each other when they see Evident signs of godliness and increase. Because it's serious and we've really got to take action. And it's got to be, I think it's especially got to be to be emphasized today. Because there's a teaching in the church that says that we don't have to do anything to be holy. God will do it all. I actually don't think that's what the Bible says. And I think, I actually think it's probably dangerously close to the false teaching that Peter is trying to combat. You know, I reckon if Peter had written this today, um, there would probably be blog posts written by other Christians about him saying that he's putting way too much emphasis on our effort and he should put more emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Um, can we just give Peter the benefit of the doubt? He preached on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended upon the church. He knows what he's talking about. And he knows that this transformation is by the Spirit. Remember, it's partaking in the divine nature. But simultaneously, alongside that, he calls the church with every fiber of their being to make every effort. That's what Jesus says, isn't it? In fact, actually, Jesus uses much starker language than Peter uses. He says that in your pursuit of godliness, if your hand causes you to sin, then cut it off. If your eyes cause you to sin, then gouge them out. Some of us here are probably being way too lax in our battle with sin. And if you are battling with a particular sin, as difficult it is, sometimes you've just got to stop. Just stop doing it. And often we can just, just murmur about our, our failures, murmur about how, how we're struggling, murmur about our imperfections, when what we need to do is just stop and make war and fight against the flesh. It's not easy, but you do have the resource to do it. You do. How can we do this? How can we grow? How, how can we here, how can this church help each other to grow and to fight for godliness? Well, Peter's already told us in verse 3, all that we need for godliness has been given to us through the knowledge of Christ through the knowledge of him who gave it to us 
If you want to grow in godliness, mere willpower alone cannot do it. It can't. You need to know Christ. That's how you make every effort to grow in these areas, by drawing deeper into a knowledge of Christ and his gospel, by by finding ways of, of looking at the gospel that moves our hearts and our affections. See, see what he says, the reason that we don't grow in this area is not because we lack the ability to, it's because, verse 9, we have forgotten. We are short-sighted and blind, and we have forgotten. What have we forgotten? That we have been cleansed from the past sins. We've forgotten the gospel. That's the problem. If there's no uh, evidence of growth in these areas, it just means you've forgotten the gospel. See, the remedy to growing in godliness, the way of letting loose the floodgates of of the infinite resources that God has given us is to remind ourselves of the gospel. When you remember the gospel, when you remember how, how Jesus came to die that horrible death on our behalf on the cross, when you remember that he took the, the wrath of God for our wrongdoing so that we could be cleansed of all our former sins, so that we'd be no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. When you see the immensity of the love that he has shown you, that will change you. Brothers and sisters, the devil will feed you a lie that you cannot change. The word of God says that you can. You can change. And it's simply by knowing him that you will change. So how do we dig deeper into that revelation? Well, God is not silent. This is why... This is central to all that you guys do as a church, this book. He speaks to us. This is why it should be central to your life. It's how we grow in our knowledge of God. That's what Peter will go on to say in the rest of chapter one. It's through the word that we grow. Spend time daily in this book. Speak to him in prayer. Pray back things about God's character that you learn about and from the Bible. Spend time with God's people, speaking, encouraging each other, building each other up in the gospel. Actively seek to to feed those things in your lives that increase your affections for Jesus. I don't know what it may be for you. For me, I like to to read an old dead guy from uh, the 18th century with a cup of coffee. Makes me enjoy the gospel. I know that's not for everyone. But you know what they are. Things that, that warm your heart to the gospel. Preach the truth about the gospel to yourself. Isn't that what the book of Psalms is about? People often talk about speaking to yourself being the first sign of madness. In the Christian life, that's the only way you can keep saying, preach the gospel to yourself. Psalm 103, bless the Lord. Who's he speaking to? Oh, my soul, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and let me not forget his benefits. And the psalmist lists out the benefits of being a follower of Jesus, the benefits of the gospel. He preaches that truth to himself so that he can know God better. And the more you know him, the more you will be changed by him. Remember in the gospel, it's not about knowing how it works. We all know how it works if you're a Christian. But it's about living each day as if it was really true. Let those gospel truths be woven into every fiber of your being. Let's just close by looking at the third and final point. This knowledge leads to a glorious end goal, verses 10 to 11. Why is this, why is all this so important? Why, why is it that a growth in godliness matters when, when all who trust Jesus will be saved? 
Let's read verse 10. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, a person who's experienced the grace of God, who understands the gospel is one who, Peter says, has been elected by God. But the way you know you really do understand the gospel is that you want to fight off sin and you want to grow in godliness. That's the goal of someone who is a partaker of the divine nature. So Peter says, that is what will confirm and prove that you are indeed one of God's elect. If you're growing in godliness, it's a sign that you have been saved by Christ. You're genuine. And Peter wants us to stop falling. You see, God wants us to grow in godliness, not because he's trying to... It's difficult, but God's not trying to impose some impossible standards. He wants us to have a good life. The God of the Bible's not a tyrant who wants to exercise control over his subjects. He's a father who wants what's best for his children. And that's so key to understanding this. This is not the false piety that you see in religion. It's not about shutting yourself away from the world and, and being miserable. This is for your joy. Godliness, it gives a purpose and a meaning to life. We all want to improve. We all, we all want to be better. Well, here's a resource to improve that doesn't drain your joy, but increases it. To be like Christ is to know perfect joy and love. That is a wonderful thing. And that should be our aim in life. And the more that you you delve deeper into the knowledge of Christ, the more amazing he becomes, the bigger he becomes, and the more you'll want to be just like him. And as we increase in knowledge, as we increase in godliness, we know that that is not an ending of itself, but it is preparing us, as Peter says in verse 11, for the rich welcome, it's a wonderful verse, the rich welcome that you will receive into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me close with this illustration from C.S. Lewis from the Narnia Chronicles. In the fourth book, Prince Caspian, uh, Lucy is in Narnia. Lucy's one of the main characters in the book. And she's in Narnia looking for the great uh, lion, Aslan. For those of you who know the books, Aslan, he's written basically as an allegory figure of Jesus. And when she does spot Aslan at last, Lewis writes this. And then, oh joy, for he was there, the huge lion shining white in the moonlight with his huge black shadow underneath him. But for the movement of his tail, he might have been a stone lion. But Lucy never thought of that. She never stopped to think whether he was friendly lion or not. She rushed to him. She felt her heart would burst if she lost a moment. And the next thing she knew was that she was kissing him and putting her arms as far around his neck as she could and burying her face and the beautiful, rich silkiness of his mane. Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy, at last. The great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting and half lying between his front paws. He bent forward and just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all around her. She gazed up into his large, wise face, Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you're older, little one, answered he. 
Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. You see, when you delve deeper into the knowledge of Christ, he gets bigger and bigger and bigger until like Lucy, you'll feel that your heart will just burst with joy if you don't have him. Peter is saying, grow in that knowledge. You will change. Your perspective of Christ will change. And eventually you will receive that warm welcome into his kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, thank you um, that to know you, that to know Christ and what he has done, it's not merely some cerebral thing. It's not to know some formula of salvation. But it's to know the God of the universe. To know you is to be saved by you. To know you is to be changed by you. Father, help us <coughs> to grow in godliness. Help us to help each other. To uh, feed our knowledge for Jesus so that we can grow in godliness. Father, forgive us for when we rely too much upon mere willpower. Help us to look towards Christ's power, to lean on him. Help us to, to get that balance right between trusting uh, in Christ and knowing him and making every effort to fight for our godliness. Father, help us to be active and to be vigilant in our fight against sin. Help us not to believe the lies of the evil one that says that we cannot change. But Lord, we thank you that when we came to follow Jesus, you didn't only save us, but you became part of us. And you're changing us into his likeness. So Lord, help us to change so that we can know Christ, so that he will be bigger in our lives. And Lord, may that just be evident in this church as people look and they see a changed community. May they recognize and may it be clear to them it's the gospel that has done that. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.com .org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of Solace, the Centre for Public Christianity at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.